the reality that their son or their daughter isn't faithful to God, doesn't have a home reserved in heaven anymore. They've walked away from it. They've walked away from the most important thing in your life. They've walked away from the greatest gift that you could have ever tried to give them, and that's a relationship with God. And the struggle that comes with the eternal reality of those things, and the struggle that comes with the, with the emotional heartache of those things. A few weeks ago in our Wednesday night class, we've been talking about prayer, and I just asked the class, what, what's, the most, what's the most intense thing you've ever prayed about? And we talked about a lot of things that have really put a lot of people on their knees. But you know, after that class, I had more than one person that came up to me, and here's what they said. They said, I, I just, I couldn't say it in front of everybody. I thought I might break down. But when I've prayed to God about my son, when I've prayed to God about my daughter who doesn't know the Lord, it's the most intense thing I've ever prayed for. Anne was telling me where she came from Nashville that they had a group of people, a support group that met in their church. And they weren't a support group that were dealing with alcohol or some addiction or things like that which are so necessary and needful. But they were a support group of people who got together because they were all struggling with the loss of their child's faith. And so I want us to talk for just a few minutes this, morning, this evening about what the Bible says. When we find ourselves in these situations as faithful men and women of God, and I think that's a fair title to place on you if you're here tonight, someone who's truly seeking to do God's will, it's important to you. Your relationship with God is important to you or you wouldn't be here tonight. But yet for some reason or another, that son or that daughter, whether they be a teenager or in their 20s, or whether they be 60 years old, they're not here. And you'd give anything in the world if they would be. You'd give anything in the world if they'd walk in that door. You'd give up all your worldly possessions. You'd say anything that you had to say if that could only happen. If you could, you'd go over to their house and you'd pick them up and you'd make them come. But you know that you can't. What does the Bible say about that situation? Because it's a situation that we do find within the Bible on multiple occasions because the Bible is filled with people. People dealing with many of the same things that you deal with. Why does that happen? Well, I want to start with a, with a very sad reality. When we ask the question of why, sometimes we find, unfaithful, uh, we find faithful parents and unfaithful children because sometimes good people are not good parents. Sometimes there are individuals who are very godly individuals themselves. The church is important to them. They, 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 they come to worship, they come to serve, they sacrifice. Their world revolves around a, a life of the Lord. But for some reason, they don't do a very good job at teaching their children. Maybe, maybe they fail to discipline their children. Maybe they fail to have that conversation because it's just such a difficult conversation, whatever that conversation may be about, about faith and morality and the paths of righteousness. Maybe, maybe there are good people who aren't good parents because they haven't always been good people. Many people come to know the Lord long after the, the training years of their children. And they find themselves with, with, with this wonderful new relationship with God 
But during the time that they were raising their children, they didn't have that relationship. And they know that that opportunity is gone. They can't go back and reteach their children those things that they wish that they could teach their children. And so sometimes good people really just aren't good parents. You know, one of the sayings that I heard several years ago is that God doesn't have any grandchildren. And I often wondered, well, what does that mean? God doesn't have any grandchildren. This means God only has children. God only has sons and daughters. Children will not inherit the righteousness of their parents any more than they're going to inherit their parents' sin. At some point or another, that young man or that young woman has to decide for themselves. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go. But you know, I also often have an assumption in my life that I try to be very leery of, that of course my children are going to be Christians. Of course my children are going to love and care about and see things the, the, the same way I do, because that's all that I know. But it doesn't work that way. At some point, they have to be trained, they have to be taught, they have to be molded. Sometimes good people are not good parents. And what do we do when that's the case? You know, in the Bible, we have an example of that. The Bible talks about Eli. And if you remember Eli, we read about there in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 4, is the high priest. He is the spiritual leader of a nation. He's a spiritual leader of the entire nation of Israel. And people would come to Eli so that they could become closer to God. But the Bible says that Eli's sons not just weren't as spiritual as him, not just they weren't high priest material. The Bible says about the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, they were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. And I've often wondered over and over what it would be like to have some of the comments that are made about individuals in the Bible to be made about you or to be made about me. What would it be like if... If, if we had a place where, where Paul wrote about our faith and how he knows about our faith and he knows about our works and he knows about the sacrifices that we've made. What if there were a place in the Bible that talked about the great patience that's in your life or the great service that you've shown? Because there are people in the Bible that are singled out that way. And it's an amazing thought. But then I come to passages like this and I wonder, what would it be like to have a passage in the inspired Word of God that said about my son or my daughter, they are worthless because they do not know the Lord. Because that's the reality that this man of God dealt with. You know it had to have broken, broken his heart. He was a spiritual man. He was, he, was, he was a godly man. He was what God wanted him to be, but there was something that was wrong. You see, it was because of his son's it was because of the sons of Eli that his, his priesthood was even taken away from him. The Bible says when Eli was very old, he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel. He heard about how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all of these people. The struggle. These are my sons. These are the ones that I gave birth to. This is that innocent child that I brought into this world. This is the one that I had these hopes and these dreams and these aspirations for. Why are you doing these things? He knew what they were doing. Why? 
And it was because, it was because of his sons that the priesthood was taken away from him. You remember the dreams that Samuel heard when he heard the voice of the, of the Lord. And, and, and the Lord spoke to him, and the Lord, the Lord told him in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 3, I have told him that I am about to judge, he's speaking of Eli, I am about to judge the house of Eli forever. Why? For the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. A good man who wasn't a very good parent. And the reality is that sometimes we find ourselves grieving over the spiritual loss of our children. And when we ask the question, why? Why are we in these situations? Why are my children the way that they are? You very clearly see that you had something to do with it. Maybe church wasn't as important to you then as it is now. Maybe God wasn't someone that you knew in the way that you, knew, in the way that you know now. Maybe you just say, I failed to stand up and lead my family to have the conversations that, that, that needed to be had to be the man of God, to be the woman of God that, that they needed to see. But there was something there, there was something there that the burden lays upon me. Not that they're innocent because of those things, but I know that I had something to do with it. Now we may ask Wes, well, well it's kind of a downer, isn't it? Why, why are we starting there? And the reason that I'm starting there is because I believe that I've seen a lot of people who have found themselves in that exact situation. And when they look at their children and why their children are the way that they are today, they kill themselves because they realize they are the way that they are because I was the way that I was. And people who beat themselves into depression, people who wallow in the mud and for all intents and purposes, make themselves into useless vessels themselves because they cannot get over the grief and the guilt and the burden that they bear. And I'm bringing this up because, because I believe, friends, if you find yourself in that situation, the greatest thing that you can do is to handle that in the same way that you would handle any other sin. And it is a sin. There are many times that I'm not the father that I need to be for my son or for my daughter. I see that already at, at their young age. And that's a sin before God. How should I handle those things? Brother, like any other sin, I need to repent. I need to come face to face with those things. I need to ask God, God, forgive me. But once I ask God for that, for, for that forgiveness, I need to move on. I need to put those things behind me and be the best that I can be today. I can't live in the past. I can't be overwhelmed by the past and the mistakes and the regrets. Every one of us in this room could, could fill a book with, with, with mistakes and regrets and things that we would do different, can't we? But if we allow those things to rule our life, which that happens in a lot of people's lives when it comes to their children, we become worthless, not only to the church, but also to that young man or to that young woman who we still are striving to reach. Sometimes good people just simply are not good parents. As if that's not bad enough, when we open up the biblical record, we also understand that sometimes good parents still have unfaithful children. The grand reality that as a parent, and let me just be honest that this scares me to death, 
Because I'm trying to do everything right. I'm like every other parent. And I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to do what's right. But the reality is, even if I do everything right, that my son or my daughter may not remain faithful. And if that doesn't send a chill up your spine as a parent, I mean, if, if, I've ever, if I ever lose sleep about things, I can tell you that's what I lose sleep about. What's this little boy going to look like when he goes out on his own? What's, what's this young lady going to look like when she, when she steps out and goes to college or gets her first job or starts to live her own life? You see, the reality is, at some point or another, she's going to start making choices for herself. What if I could be the perfect parent? Isn't that the game that we generally play? Yeah, but if I could just do this, if I could just be at one more ball game, if I could just have one more family devotional, if I could just do... You fill in the blanks, right? All those things that we're all striving to do, and I want to do more and more, and I want to be a better parent. And I think that's a good thing to strive to be a better parent than we are today. What if I could be the perfect parent? Well, for one, you can't be a perfect parent. But for two, even if you could be the perfect parent, friends, the perfect parent has unfaithful children. Do we not see that? You turn over to, to the book of, to the book of uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, where it talks about our Heavenly Father. Friends, let me ask you something. When it comes to our Heavenly Father, how many mistakes has He ever made? How many times has He ever said the wrong thing? How many times has he ever used the wrong tone or asked the wrong question or failed to have a conversation? How many times has he ever been inconsistent? And the answer is an astonishing none. He's perfect. He always says it right and says it the right way and at the right time. He is a perfect parent. But yet when he looks at his children, listen to what he says. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks... Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's main, main manager. But Israel does not know me. My people do not understand me. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. And they have turned away from Him. Friends, the perfect parent has children who have gone astray. I think about that when we talk about what it means to be a godly man and the qualifications of a godly man. And sometimes I believe we hold people to a standard that not even God the Father lives up to. The perfect parent has unfaithful children. Why? Because at some point, you choose. Your son, your daughter, your child, they will choose. They will make a choice. Will I get up and go worship this morning? Will I sacrifice to my God? Will I, will I involve myself with ungodly things or, or, or with godly things? The same way that you've made those choices. And then we try to do everything that we can to set them up for success, do we not? We want to give them every advantage that we can. We want to protect them. We want to put them in situations where they will excel and have opportunities to be their own person. But at some point, this is the reality. They're going to make that choice for themselves. At some point, they're going to be beyond your home. They're going to be beyond my reach. 
They're going to be beyond taking them up and putting them over your knee. They're not going to be scared. They're not going to be dependent. And they're going to make a choice. And the reality is, as we look, as we look throughout the pages of the Word of God, that God allows us to choose. That great reality that is true with you and with me. That I can do whatever I want. You don't have to be here tonight. You don't ever have to set foot in this building again if you don't ever want to. That's the reality. You don't ever have to serve God again if you don't want to. God wants you to do that, but He wants you to choose to do that. Listen, I can make people bow down before me, but it wouldn't be meaningful, would it? Would it be meaningful if, I'm, if I took a child and I physically made them do No. But if someone chooses to do that, that's what God looks for. But that same reality that is such a blessing to you and to me, it's also very scary when it comes to your sons and your daughters. Because they may, they may very well, in spite of whatever it is that you have done for them, in spite of whatever prayers you have given them, in spite of whatever, whatever advantages you have given them, in spite of all of those lessons you strive to teach, they may choose to say, no thanks. I don't want that. And they may choose that for a short time and they may choose that for a lifetime, but many of you know that reality. And those of you who do not know that reality have some fear of that reality. Sometimes even good parents, godly parents, have children who are unfaithful because God allows us to choose. God said to the nation of Israel, as Joshua was about to lead them into the greatest blessing, they were about to go into the promised land. He looked at those people and he said, here's the deal. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, you choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's he saying? You need to choose. I don't want you to be my people just to be my people. But if you want to go, you can go. When the, when the followers of Jesus began to abandon him, Jesus turned to the twelve. And what did he say to the twelve? What did he say to the ones that he had, he had hand-selected and he had hand-groomed and he was going to make them the pillars of the church and give them a special place in the judgment? What did he say to his twelve? Do you want to go too? Do you want to go too? You can if you want to go. I think sometimes we miss the, the intensity of, of that moment because it's a choice. It's a choice that we're spending, those of us with young children, we're spending our lives preparing our children for that day when they'll make that choice. But they won't just make that choice once. We make that choice over and over and over. Don't we make that choice every day in regards to whether we will serve the Lord? So sometimes we see these things because... Because good, because good people aren't always good parents. And if that's the case, it's time to ask God to forgive us and to move on from those things, to do all that we can within our power, not to be burdened by the past, but, but to put those things behind so that we can win that soul today. The reality also is that sometimes there, there are good and godly parents who still have unfaithful children. What do we do? Because our goal... Our goal is not just to acknowledge that that's the situation. I really haven't probably told you anything you didn't know. But our goal is to win that child. Our goal is for that son or for that daughter to come in that door and to walk down that aisle, to be right with God. Our goal is for even that one who has abandoned the Lord to come back to the Lord. 
to become a great man or woman of God. You know, one of the things that, that I've observed is a need to learn to look and recognize the good that was done. So many times, I've already said this, I think parents beat themselves up over these things. I remember speaking with, 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 a, with a lady that we worship with when, when we were in, in Illinois. And her daughter-in-law always came to services, but her son never came. Never came. I saw him a few times in the parking lot in the five, time, in the five years that we were there, but I don't ever remember him setting foot in, in, inside the church doors. He was going to the lake, he was going hunting, he was sleeping at home, he was watching football. He was always doing something, but he was never there worshiping God. And it killed this mother. Why was her son not there? And as she began to talk with her, she began to just beat herself up about what a terrible parent she had done and the things that she did do and didn't do. And I just stopped her one day. And I said, but, but wait a minute. Don't you have another son who's a deacon at, the, at this congregation just down the road? And she said, yeah, yeah, I do. And, and tell me about your daughter. Don't you have a daughter in this other congregation? Who's, who's an active member of that congregation, who's married to, to her husband, who is also a deacon in that congregation. And she said, well, yeah, that, 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 that's true. And I just asked her, I said, where, where do you think that they learned that? She said, well, I, I guess they learned that here. And I share that simply to say, friends, there have been a lot of good that had done in that home. There have been a lot of things that have been taught that were right in that home. There have been a lot of examples that, that were good examples and godly examples. And she was killing herself over that one. And as a parent, you understand that. You understand the, the, the loss of the one and leaving the 99 for the one. I get that. But can we take some time to acknowledge the good that's done in so many of our homes? The fact that you're here tonight. If Jim was here tonight, he'd tell you, Dad's the greatest thing you can do for your children is to bring them to church, Right? And I get tickled because he, he, Jim says that all the time. But it's true. We, we need to hear that. We need, we need to know that. Those are good things. I'm glad that I had a father who, who said, this is important. And I can tell you that, that my, my dad, he's never one, I hope he doesn't listen to this, but he's, he's never one that you're going to sit down and you're going to have this deep theological conversation about, about the, the deeper things of the Word of God. You're not going to have that conversation with him. But we had a lot of conversations about the Bible is right and God's will is important and whatever the Bible says, that's what we're going to do. And Dad, you can have those conversations, can't you? For all the things that we say, well, I can't do this. I don't know what you can and can't do, but I know, that we can, I know what we can do. We can be here tonight. We can, we can work with our children, these young people these last few weeks that have been quoting all of these things. And for, for all the great things that happen in our Bible classes, do you know where that really happens? It happens in your home. It happens at your dinner table. It happens in your family devotionals. What's important? When we find ourselves in these situations, learn to recognize the good that was done and don't ever, ever give up hope. You see, because there are people in this room tonight, and we've talked about this so many times, but there are people in this room tonight that 10 years ago people would have never believed you would be in this room. 20 years ago people would have never believed that you would be a leader in this church. 
30 years ago, people would have been, you know, not, he doesn't have any interest in it. And maybe you didn't. But something happened. We think about what the, proverb, what the Proverbs say in Proverbs 22 and verse 5. You, you remember those words, don't you? Proverbs 22 and verse 5. When the Bible says, verse 6, I'm sorry, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not this guarantee that, 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 if, that if you bring your kids to church, they're always going to know the Lord, but it's a proverbial statement. It's a generality. That the things that you do with your family today have an effect on your family in the future. Train up a child in the way he should go. Why? Why do we do the things that, that, that we do? I'm just telling you, one of the reasons that I wanted to move to Savannah, Tennessee, is because I wanted to give my children some advantages. I wanted my children to be a part of, of, the, of the history and the heritage that this congregation has in working with their young people. I wanted that for my children. Why? Because I want them to have every opportunity that I can possibly give them. I want to set them up for success. Don't give up on your children. Whether they are young or whether they are old, you teach them things now and those things will be with them. I remember my brother... I've told you about my brother before, but, but I remember when he was about as far away from the Lord as, as anybody could get. And there was one day that he came to the, to the, to the church where my mom works in the preschool, and, and he was waving her over. And she waved him back. She was busy. She had all these kids. I want you, I want you. But, but he, he was not going to set foot in that building. And she, she said, finally, she did what all mothers do. She gave in, and she went over to him. And the reason he didn't want to come in the building was because he had a Budweiser shirt on. Now, it didn't bother him to wear a Budweiser t-shirt. It didn't bother him to drink a few Budweisers. But he knew better. He knew enough that, he, that there was something wrong. There was something to be ashamed of. That he wasn't about to go in the church building that way. Where did he get that? He was taught those things. There's, this list went out with the looking up this last week and they're in the back, but what do we do when our children disappoint us? You know, there's several things it says on there that you can look at the Scriptures to respect their decisions. As much as I might want to, as much as you might want to, you can't make them. You can't make someone worship God. You can't make somebody be a Christian. And so they've got to make their own decisions. To wait. Isn't that the hard one? To wait and wait. See, because I'd like things to change now, and you'd like for things to change now. But things only change in their own time. And maybe that son or maybe that daughter, maybe they're going through something and it's a matter of time. And I don't know if they'll have that time or not, but you're going to have to wait. Because they've demanded that. But don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. I can. I told you about my brother, but this last this last week when my father-in-law was here, and my brother's been back in the church for quite, for some months now, but they were going through the deacon selection process, and someone actually submitted my brother's name to be a deacon in the church, and I thought, wow, who would have believed that? He's not ready for that yet, but the fact that somebody even thought that, these things change, life's change, life changes. And those people that we may say, that'll never happen. If that happens, the roof will fall in. Well, some of you are here. 
and the roof still standing. And some of your sons and some of your daughters, you let them know that there's a place for them to come home to. Lean on your Christian family to realize if you're going through this, you're not going through this alone. I wish we could ask for a show of hands of how many people are struggling with this very issue. I can just tell you enough to say there's a lot of people in this audience struggling with this issue. And those who aren't struggling with it, you're thinking about it, you're fearful for your own children, you don't want this to happen, lean upon each other to pray for them. Pray like Job prayed for his children. Remain faithful. Your children do not need you to say that their, their misbehavior is okay. They don't need you to legitimize ungodliness. They need a light. They need a light in their world of darkness so that when they get ready to come home, they can find the way home and there'll be a place to return to. There'll be a mother and a father and a church that they know more than anything else in the world wants them to change their lives and wants to forgive them. There'll be a group of a body of believers that just like their God has done everything within their power to save their soul. And they can return to that. Don't give up hope. Don't lose hope of that son or that daughter. You sit them down and you share your heart and you, and you, share, you, you share the heartache and you tell them the, the, the way that you feel about these things. And they may say, forget about it. I don't care about those things. But they'll hear your words. They will hear your words. Just like when people have set, have set you down in your life and they've said, I'm worried about you. Not to lecture you or to beat you up, but to say, I'm really concerned about these things. And even some of those people who have set you down and you have dismissed them, but you have heard their words. You've heard what they've said. And they've made an impact in your life. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reality is that God has given you one more day. Why hasn't the Lord come? Well, because He's given you one more day. He's given you one more day to make your life right with Him. Why hasn't the Lord come? Maybe the reason He hasn't come is because He's given your son or your daughter one more day. That's the reason He hasn't come. He's not slow. He's just patient. And He's just loving. May we not neglect that. In just a moment, Josh is going to lead us in a song of invitation. Pierce my ear. And it's a song about a slave who comes to choose his master. About a slave who says... I want to be, not I'm forced into slavery, but I'm choosing you. And that's what God wants from every one of us. That's what He wants from your son and your daughter. That's what He wants from, from your parents. That's what He wants from every man and woman and child in this room. He wants us to say, I don't have to follow you, but I choose to follow you. And if you haven't made that choice, I'm just saying that you're neglecting the greatest opportunity that your life will ever come face to face with. If you're here and you're not a Christian, listen to me for just a moment. If you're here and you're not a Christian, God wants you to become one. He gave His Son so that you could be with Him for all of eternity. But you have to choose Him. If you're here and you've lived your life more for yourself than you have for your God, 
then you have a God who wants you to stop and to choose Him, to choose His way, to choose His paths. And the reality is that when you choose Him, it is the path to the greatest blessings you will ever experience. And when we see that, and when we know that, it will change us, and it will change our families. But if you have a need this t- tonight, maybe, maybe you simply need to ask the church to pray for you, or to pray for your son, or to pray for your daughter. I don't know. But you take advantage of the Lord's invitation tonight, and come as we stand and as we sing. Thank you, Wes, for that lesson. Uh, for those of us who are not blessed to be parents yet, uh, we have a, a lot to look forward to, and, and I commend those of you who are parents and um, are fighting that good fight. If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper today, it's been left prepared for you. You can exit the auditorium to my right, and uh, you will be served. We're going to close with the song, I am thine, O Lord, and then we'll be dismissed in prayer. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith, and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me Lord, to thy precious bleeding side, consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. 
Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you for all the blessings you've given us. Thank you for your son that died on the cross. Blood was shed to forgive us of our sins. And just help us to lead our children by example and be an example to others also because there are, there are many, many that, that need you, Lord. Just be with all the sick and afflicted. Watch over all the ones that have lost loved ones, Lord. Just be with them as you know what they need. Watch over all of us and guide, guard, and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.